Good morning. We are uh, evening, whenever it is. We are so glad to have you on our online worship service from Lincoln Hills Christian Church. We are in our Christmas series, and this is the third sermon in this series. The, the theme is misfits. Today I want to talk about the label changer. You know, we all know that people get, they get stamped with labels in their life for different reasons. Uh, and they can last for a life. What about Conan the Barbarian? How many of you remember that? Or maybe Buffy the Vampire Slayer. See, these are labels that these people have. My, not, my name is Morris Webster Oglesby Jr. And uh, that is a mouthful. But here's the thing. My mama nicknamed me Webby, W-E-B-B-Y, when I was a really little boy. And that label, uh, most people know me by Webby. And, you know, on the other hand, I can barely legibly write Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S, with a pen. So I don't use it much. But here's the thing. Labels can either dishonor us or honor us. Saying something about us, like Alexander the Great. Now, that's a super positive label for a, a leader. But then we look in the Scriptures And in the first sermon, we talked about the genealogy of Jesus. And in that genealogy, it is mentioned uh, from uh, Joshua, a name of a woman, Rahab. Now, her, her label in Joshua is Rahab the harlot. That's not a very positive way for people to know you. And here's the question. And I, I, I wrestle with this too, but can God use a misfit? We know He can because as we read through the whole Bible, He has. Regardless of our labels, regardless of our past, what's happened to us, our, our sin life, regardless of our reputations. But that might suggest that we can't be used by God. But I'm here to say today to you that God is a label changer. And He can remove that bad label from your life. And with your help, that can happen. Listen, God is a label changer. You can go from a misfit to a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus calls some misfits. If you remember in that genealogy, there's people in His, uh, as I've mentioned, in that genealogy that are misfits. But see, I know, because I was a misfit. I actually was a secret agent. Let me explain what I'm talking about. I kind of lived a double life. Did you do that when you were growing up? Or maybe you're doing that right now. Uh, It's this double life thing. Uh, I was that kind of a young man. In high school, everybody, you know, uh, people really didn't know. My parents and my relatives and a lot of people didn't know the real Webby. And I was really good at my craft. Uh, And we, as young people and adults, are great actors and actresses. With a nickname like Webby, who in the world would suspect that I was into espionage? Now, when I say espionage, I mean, I was doing things that people didn't know about, that my parents didn't know about. I used foul language, and I was in with the, the rambling crowd that did a lot of things we shouldn't have done, Maybe you identify with that. I was a misfit, but I didn't look like a misfit. 
And we all have that double agent tendency at times. Uh, we show only the good me. In fact, that's the way we live a lot of times. Somehow we think God's taking a nap and He doesn't see us or hear us, or that He goes on vacations and He's not interested in who we are. But all along, God knows, and we need to remember that. Rahab the harlot. I don't only want to just zero in on her today, but she is a part of the story we want to look at. She was not living a secret life. Everybody in Jericho knew Rahab the harlot. She had that label and she lived up to it. And this makes the story in the Bible so special. You see, Joshua in the second chapter, and if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Joshua, the, the Hebrews are at the edge of the Jordan River. They have come back to finally cross that river into the Promised Land. And they are going to conquer the people of the Promised Land and live happily ever after. You remember Chris talked about that last week. He asked us how many of us have watched movies that end in happily ever after. We all want that. But in Joshua 2.2, we read these words, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, that is a very interesting section of Scripture because they are sending these two guys into Jericho on, on a spy mission. And they go to Rahab's house. And when you, when you turn to Joshua and you look at verses 8 and 9 in that chapter 2, uh, here's what we find. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that great fear of you has fallen on us. She's talking about the people inside the city. So that all who live in this country, everybody in the countryside also, are melting in fear because of you. They've heard the stories of the parting of the Red Sea and all those other things. She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God, here's Rahab, listen to this prostitute, this harlot, make this statement. Is God in heaven above and on the earth below? She believes that God is God Almighty. And what a testimony from her lips. She says, your God parted the Red Sea. And I love this part where she says, our hearts melted. That's fear, guys, when you, you feel like your heart's melting because you're scared to death. Listen, in Joshua 2.21, uh, there's a deal made. Uh, Rahab has hidden the spies. The people in the city have found out there are spies there, Jews, Hebrews. And so they come to Rahab's house, and she hides them on her roof under some uh, flax 
some uh, like big bundles of wheat or whatever it is, of flax, and lays it on top of them. So when they asked Rahab about whether or not she has a spy, she said, oh, they were here, but they left a long time ago. And so the guys went away. She went up on the roof, and before they went to bed, she was going to make a deal with them. She says, look, our hearts are melting in fear of you Hebrews, but let me tell you something. I want to be safe when you come to conquer this, uh, this city. And here's what she does. Here's the deal. She said, I have hidden you. Not only does she do that, she does some other things I'll mention in a minute, but here's the deal. I'm going to, I will tie a red or a scarlet cord in my window, and you need to promise to me that when you conquer this city, my, me and my family, everyone in my house will be safe. So let me unwrap this for you. I've read sermons and commentaries on Rahab's faith. It's kind of interesting. The issue for me is not to cheapen God's mercy or His grace. And I don't think we should want to do that or do it uh, ignorantly, if you want to put it that way. God has always requi required man to do something. Rahab did several things for her and her family to be saved. She hid the spies. She lied to her people. She bargained for her family. She lured the spies to safety. You can read all of this. Told them how to avoid being caught. She tied a scarlet cord or rope to her window. She made sure her family was in her house. Rahab did a lot. Joshua, being a man of integrity, is going to honor her for helping them to conquer Jericho. But to say that Rahab did nothing but have faith, I believe is erroneous. And I don't think that's right. Now, God did more than Rahab. God did phenomenally more than this woman did in order for them to conquer it. But Joshua, in 310, God promises them. God, they've come to the, they've come to this crossing and it says early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord God and the priest who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near. God is giving them orders in how they're going to conquer Jericho. And uh, if you get down to verse 10, it says, I, God says, I will drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. He is going to drive them out. You see, the people conquered because of God's power in their existence and their life. And then you get down two through five as I was reading, and he tells them what they're going to do. They're going to march around the city. Some guys are going to have trumpets. They might have their weapons in their hand, but they're not going to try to scale the walls or anything. God says, I want you to march around 
the walls of Jericho once every day for seven days. And on the seventh day, march around it in a big file seven times and blow those trumpets and shout and scream and stomp the earth. And then I will deliver Jericho to you. And everybody's saying, do what, Lord? You kidding me? This is not going to work, but it did work. Listen, God required the Hebrews to follow his instructions for conquering Jericho. No weapons, no months of trying to climb the walls. This was God's victory. They marched one time around Jericho, two million strong every seven days. They did it once and only did they fight after the walls had fallen. Now it's very interesting because in verses 24 and 25, of, uh, of Joshua 6, we find some very interesting things. But listen, here's what happens. Uh, the walls do fall. They fall. Archaeology has proven, and this is, you can go read this on the internet, that the walls of Jericho did not fall in, so they didn't knock them down. The walls fell out. When they unearthed Jericho, they found that the walls actually fell from the, they fell outward, not inward, which would prove they didn't knock the walls down. God did. And then they climbed over the rubble and they conquered the people of Jericho. Listen to what the writer here says. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. You see, Joshua is a man of integrity. So Rahab shows up in the genealogy of Jesus because she helped the Hebrews take the city of Jericho. Rahab meets a man, a Jewish man, by the name of Solomon after she joins the Jewish people. He was a Jew. She was a Canaanite. And they get married, and she gives birth to a, a boy child named Boaz. Boaz will be the great-grandfather the, the great of King David. You see, Rahab had a label, and I would say to you, we all have a label. No doubt about it. A lot of us have labels our parents gave us, our teachers gave us, our friends gave us. Uh, listen to some of the labels that, that may, may be pinned on any of us. As a child, were you called a terror, a bad kid, a, a runt? Now, I was called a runt. I was a small person all my life. In fact, my senior minister from Georgia, that was, uh, I'm from a little town called Rinkin, and his nickname for me was Rinkin Runt. So every day he called me Rink and Run, I was reminded of, of uh, the fact that I, I'm a runt. Maybe you've been called a hellion. That's, you know, somebody is a kid that raises all kind of fuss. So maybe somebody, your parents told you, you will never amount to anything. Maybe you have the label of a divorcee or druggie. Maybe people think you're mean. Maybe you've been labeled crazy or a knothead, a lowlife, 
somebody silly or goofy or whiny. My younger sister, she whined all the time. And we, we called her whiny. She had a label. What about the label of thief, hypocrite? Oh, he's just an old drunk, liar. Well, that person's dishonest. See, all these are labels that we can be labeled with as we live in this old world. But listen, remember Matthew, the tax collector? Did Jesus tell him, Matthew, I'm standing here at your tax booth, and I know you've been extorting money from the Jewish people, but listen, when you quit your job and you start doing good stuff and you stop sinning, then you can join me in my little band of men and you can be one of my disciples. And not only that, you can, you can be very important in that. No, Jesus didn't say that to Matthew. What did he say to him? Right where you are, with your label, a tax collector. Right in there with the sinners and the thieves and the murderers. Jesus says, follow me and follow me now, right now. That's the Christmas message of 2020. Jesus changes our labels from misfit to disciple. And he can do that for you. Now, Joshua left a memorial. When they came to the edge of the Jordan River, when the priest carrying the ark stepped foot in the Jordan River, it rolled back just like the Red Sea. I don't know if you knew that or not. Read the book, guys. And so they crossed on dry land. But Joshua had 12 men grab a big rock from the bed, the dry bed of the Jordan, and take it across with them. And what he did is he piled those rocks up, and you can read the story. He, he put a memorial there. When your kids walk by and say, what's that pile of rocks about, Dad? They could say, you tell them God gave us a victory on, on this day. So that is a memorial. Well, listen, God left us a memorial too. Jesus left us the Lord's Supper. And we gather around that memorial, and some people that don't know might ask, well, what is this about? It's about the fact that God loves us so much, He gave Jesus down on a cross for us. And we commemorate that every Lord's Day, well, especially here at Lincoln Hills. We take the bread and the cup, and we commemorate the Lord's Supper. Listen, we, we think about Jesus. We remember Him. Uh, it's a time for us to pray and repent. And, and, and if we're in Christ or not, this is a, a time to meditate and offer ourselves to God. So I would offer you an invitation this morning. You can allow Jesus to change your label right now forever. Um, there's no doubt you can do that. Uh, as we sing a song, you can make a commitment to the Lord. You can come by our office and talk to us. You don't just ask Jesus into your heart like a lot of people teach. You have to do something. And we will teach you what you have to believe and what you need to do. Come and give yourself a wonderful Christmas gift, the gift of a new label. Let Jesus forgive you and change you from a misfit and give you the label of disciple, a follower of the King of Kings, to give you a new life and a life eternal. That would be my prayer. Let's pray as we think about this great story from the Old Testament. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Joshua, for his power and his strength and his courage to lead 
over two million people, Lord, to the promised land. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to think about all that took place with Joshua and the Hebrews and the, the Canaanites and Rahab, this person that God used and a misfit that shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. Father, help us to see the importance of your plan in our lives. And Lord, if there be one listening or watching this today, I pray that you would change them, that you would move them to find out exactly what they might be able to do to change their misfit label forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.